I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1016. Page 1016. Morning, Jim and Garth, whom we trust that the Lord has done a work inside and, and called them to this office and that you, the congregation, have uh, elected to serve in the office of ruling elder. And so in just a short time, we'll be going through the formal process to allow them to take vows, to, to affirm the Lord's work in calling them uh, to this office. But first, I would like to address uh, these men in particular and uh, more generally the elders amongst us uh, as well, in a sense, all of us from this passage in First Peter chapter 5. We're just going to look at the first four verses there. So we're jumping forward. We've been working our way through uh, this wonderful letter, First Peter. We're jumping forward from chapter 2 to chapter 5 to a place in which we get clear instruction uh, from Peter about the primary function of a shepherd. Uh, and we get this instruction in the, in the form initially of a command. And uh, a command, there's one thing about a command. Sometimes we may not want to hear a command, but generally commands are clear. Uh, if a parent tells one of their children, clean your room now, there's not a lot of ambiguity in those words, uh, clean your room. Now, all kinds of excuses can come up, but, but it's clear. And that's what Peter gives to us here in verse 2. He gives us a clear command, and not only that, he does it using imagery that is very familiar to us, that we typically find uh, we, we get a wonderful sense of security as we think about the Lord watching over us and guarding the sheep who belong to him. Uh, well, we see in this passage uh, that elders are the Lord's special instrument for this uh, within his church. And so this instruction that Peter gives in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 is very important. It's important to all of us, uh, but especially to those to whom it's especially directed, those who have been called and, and tasked with this responsibility. We might call them, or us, under-shepherds. Uh, and so, uh, look for that. Look, uh, verse 2, for that command to be given, and then an explanation about how that is to be carried out after, uh, after the command is given. So again, First Peter chapter 5, I'm just going to read the first four verses. Peter says to his audience, which remember consists of many different churches scattered across a, a large area, he says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let me say a word of prayer for us. Father, as we open up uh, to this portion of Scripture and we, we read about uh, leadership within the church and how you have ordained it, uh, Father, we know that we step into an area uh, that is fraught with danger in the world in which we live. Uh, the heart tends toward a particular kind of leadership that is not a godly leadership. And, and, and yet, uh, you call us to follow that, that straight and that narrow path and to obey you, uh, to have hearts that desire that. And so, Lord, I pray for your help this morning. Help us to see, help us to understand these words, especially those who are, uh, those whom you have called to be shepherds here, but all of us as well as the flock. Uh, help us to see and to understand, to take this, to apply it correctly in the right way to ourselves uh, out of that which you have done. Give us eyes to see, we pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The name Augustine is probably familiar to most, most of you here. He's uh, one of the early church fathers, and that, that term is used kind of in the technical way to refer to those who, who lived just uh, a couple of hundred years, a hundred years to, to a few hundred years after the incarnation of Christ, which um, which Augustine did. It was in the uh, 400s. And uh, he was considered by many to be perhaps the greatest theologian of all time. But he, when he was younger, he strayed far from his Christian upbringing. If you know about uh, his story, he essentially, at one point, he was in what was really a cult. And he remained in rebellion against the Lord for many years. But he wrote in his famous autobiographical work uh, called Confessions, he, he wrote that there was a woman in his life who never let him go. She was persistent. She was always reminding him about the right path that he needed to follow, that he must follow. And she was constantly praying for him. This woman was his mother, Monica. Uh, at one point, Augustine tells that uh, he left his mother behind, and he went from Carthage, which is in Africa, right uh, on the, the Mediterranean Sea, and he, he traveled across the sea to Rome uh, to experience fame and fortune. Uh, he was a brilliant man, and to use that brilliance, and so he was there in Rome. Later he was in Milan. He didn't even tell his mother where he was going. But his mother, of course, did find out. And she went after him. Uh, not to beat him down. Not to command him to return. But again, to remind him of the right path to follow. And to pray for him. To know how to pray for him. Augustine later wrote of his mother that she who wept on my behalf wept more than most mothers weep when their children die. 
she cared for him, and her greatest concern was that Augustine would turn to the Lord Jesus uh, in faith. And it was there in Milan that Augustine, who became this great theologian, that he was converted, that his eyes were opened, and he would come to, to discover uh, later that it was God who did it from beginning to end. Yet it was his mother, Monica, who stood in the gap for him, praying, interceding for him before the Lord, caring for his soul. She was the instrument that the Lord used. You know, what you can see in Augustine's life and this relationship with his mother is a glimpse into the shepherding heart of God. Parents are called to shepherd their children, to stand in the gap, to pray for them, to care for them, to seek for their true need to be met in Christ. Uh, but notice for Monica that this wasn't just a, a duty. It wasn't just something that she saw on her list of uh, the, her, her description list as a mom, these are the things that you need to do and so you just need to get at it. Uh, but she was driven internally. It was her own knowledge of the Lord and her love for the Lord that drove her to do this, uh, to intercede for Him. And it was because of her God-given position as mother. You can kind of think of a, a mother hen. This is the... the the uh, illustration given in the Bible so often, a mother hen with the chicks under her wings caring for those chicks. And even as they, they depart some to go further out, they are still caring for the chicks, doing what no one else is going to do, taking on that calling, that responsibility that is given by the Lord. The same is true when it comes to the shepherding heart of God is applied to his people. You know, we see these beautiful passages in Scripture uh, that speak of this. One of these is Isaiah chapter 40. These are familiar words. This, this time of the year uh, when we've got Haydn's uh, great Messiah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to, to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. You can see the, the heart of the Lord for his people in that. And then he says this later in Isaiah 40, He, the Lord, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now clearly in that passage, it's the Lord's doing, isn't it? We've got to keep that in mind all the way through that the Lord is the shepherd, just as we hear in Psalm 23. He is the one who knows his sheep. Now, he is the one who feeds his sheep. He is the one who leads the sheep. He is the one who protects the sheep so that the sheep will not go lost. No mere man can provide what the sheep need. But we do see through Scripture that he carries out this shepherding function in his church and, and amongst his people by way of those whom he has prepared and he has called out and he has equipped for shepherding. You know, in Psalm, another, another place in Psalm 78, 
we, we read this very similar uh, passage to what I just read, Psalm 78. Then he, God, led out his people like sheep, and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. See, through and through. This is, again, this is God doing this. But what do we see? This is actually speaking about the children of Israel being taken out of Egypt and guided in their desert wanderings. But who do we see that is often there at the front? It's Moses, who was interceding on behalf of the people, who was leading them, who was shepherding the people. Another place in the same psalm, Psalm 78, it speaks of another uh, man that the Lord chose. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. Israel, his inheritance, with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. You know, the implication again is that, yes, it was God himself who was shepherding, who was guiding, who was leading, who was feeding, all of these things. But he did it through those whom he called and appointed to the task, those who were under shepherds, to carry out God's heart for shepherding within the church. And so what I'd like for us to see as we come to this passage in 1 Peter 5 is this, that God does call human overseers. There are differences between the Old Testament and the New, and we need to pay attention to those. But in the New Testament as well, we see that God calls human overseers, men whom he's called to the office of elder, to carry out this shepherding of his church. And notice there what's not happening. It's not being done by... Uh, external parachurch organizations, that shepherding. Uh, it's not done by those who have been trained as counselors within the church, kind of a, a, a more professional group. Shepherding is not simply the domain of small groups within the church. Each of these does have its place. Each of these can be used wonderfully within the church uh, and play an important role. But, but the normal way that we see shepherding take place both by directive and by example, is through individuals whom the Lord has called, appointed, equipped uh, for this purpose. And they are the ones who are responsible to help bring God's heart of shepherding to His people and to lead, to guide, to feed, to, to be a help in that sense, to point in the right direction, to care for the flock. And there's a consistent picture of this that we see all the way through Scripture. Uh, and to help us with this, Peter describes here an attitude and an approach that must be present in these elder shepherds. And, you know, I think we can safely say that where this has been present, that God's church has prospered, has grown in its relationship with Him, the, the church has been helped, but when this has been absent or it's been done in, a, in an unbiblical way, then the church of God has suffered. 
And so we need to look at the attitude, the approach that Peter brings out here. And, and so if you'll look, he gives his command in, in verse 2, a clear command. He's just said, uh, I exhort elders, the elders among you. We know there's a very specific group that he is speaking to. And he even says, as a fellow elder, witness to the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the glory uh, that is going to be revealed. He looks back. I have seen this, and he looks forward. I know that I will see this. I am an elder who is amongst you, and let me tell you what the Lord has commanded. And he says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I do think that those words right there, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, should be words that are on the the mind and the heart of all of those who are called into this, this office of elder. We should often think about those words. And then right after that, uh, Peter goes on to say this. He says, exercising oversight, which means to to stand guard over. And then in verses 2 and 3, he goes on to describe the attitude and the approach that elders are to have. And this is critical because there's a particular way in which this this must be carried out. And I'm going to summarize it here with Uh, two questions that Peter uh, answers for us. The first one, this has to do with especially attitude. Uh, What must be the motive of the shepherd? And the second question especially has to do with the approach. How must the shepherd exercise authority? So the first one, what must be the motive of the shepherd? Now, the answer... Uh, to this question. He doesn't state directly, but it'll become clear as we look at it. And it's this, the motive, a love for the Lord. Uh, Look with me. Again, verse 2, Peter calls for this certain attitude that is to be exhibited by these elder shepherds. And he he describes it with two negatives and two positives. Uh, So first, looking at the first one, he says... exercising oversight, not, this is the negative, not under compulsion, but here's the positive, willingly, as God would have you. In a way, this is not very difficult to understand. We all know the difference between doing something as a duty and doing it out of a willing heart, a desiring heart. Uh, No doubt you can think of many examples in your own lives of things that you do as a duty, and other things that you do out of a willing heart. I'm just going to throw out a few out there. And you can, you can think, uh, which one for me is this? Taxes. For those among, amongst us who do taxes. Uh, duty? Willingly. Uh, fixing dinner? Eating out. Quality time with your spouse if you're married. Uh, for those who need to do this. Oil change? Going to bed at night, duty, willingly. Vacation. What about for the kids who are here? Uh, doing math homework. Ice cream, duty, willingly. Opening God's word in the morning to read His word, duty, willingly. You can see, these are not real difficult to, to answer, are they? Now, I'm not saying they don't hit hard uh, at times, but not real difficult to answer. 
But underlying every one of those, there is a motive. There's a reason that each of those we would answer either as being a duty or we would say that it's done willingly. Taxes, for example. You might say, most of us who do taxes probably say duty. On the other hand, if, if you know that you've got a large tax return that's coming to you, and you know where that money is going to go, you already have it spent, perhaps, uh, then you might answer that willingly. And so there is an important motive to look here and to look at underlying each of these. And for the elder, Peter is saying, your answer to the question, shepherding must be willingly, out of a heart of desire to do it. You, you, you want to do it. And if it's not, if it's not willingly, if it's more of a duty, then you have a need to pay attention to that underlying motive. Now, he, he, he gives us, uh, in the next pair, negative, positive pair, he gives us, uh, uh, he digs a little deeper here. He says, exercising oversight, and skip a little forward, and he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And again, he's digging a little deeper when it comes to the motives. When he says shameful gain here, he's not just talking about monetary or, or financial gain, uh, but he's talking about the problem of having any kind of underlying motive that seeks some form of a personal gain. So rather than a, a, a desire, a willing desire, a heart to, to, to do this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, uh, a, a, a personal gain. There's something that uh, an elder might want to get out of this. He's saying the elder needs to have an enthusiasm when it comes to feeding the sheep, uh, watching over, guarding, leading, protecting. Uh, he has to find satisfaction in serving Christ in this capacity to which he has been called. Now, you can imagine the type of response that Peter might have gotten uh, from the elders when this letter went out to them uh, and they, they read these words, they may have thought in their minds because we may think the same thing. Well, that's a stretch. Uh, how am I supposed to generate within myself that desire, that eagerness to care for others, to shepherd the flock willingly if it's not already there in my heart? You know, I, I think that that's exactly the same question that Peter's trying to get us to, to, to ask because that's where he's trying to take us. Uh, we've already seen to some extent as we began this letter that Peter wants us to be motivated through this relationship with the Lord and, and a knowledge of what he has done for us. But I want to I take you somewhere else where we also see this answer that can be very helpful. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 21, the fourth gospel. Uh, John, right at the very end, the last chapter of the gospel of John. Uh, you know, if we were to back up a couple of chapters from John 21, uh, we would see with, with Peter uh, that devastating spot where Peter... Even though he said he would not, but he denied the Lord at this critical time, just about when Jesus was about to go to the cross. He denied him three times. And it's hard for us to imagine what Peter must have, have felt, how devastated 
inside, the, the, the guilt, the weight that would have been there. Well, here we are in chapter 21. It's after the resurrection of Christ, uh, after he has is, he is risen and appeared to the disciples. And we get this interchange between Jesus and Peter in John 21, verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And, and Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Imagine in that interchange how Peter's heart was drawn to the Lord Jesus in such a way that he almost couldn't not love him. He, he, he had to love him. After this most grievous sin, denying the Lord three times, this critical time, and yet three times, the Lord restores him to himself fully to service before him. But notice one thing. The second time that he, he, he made this call to Peter, he said to him, tend my sheep. Now the word that he used there, the Greek word, is actually the same word for shepherd. So three times, Jesus looks for Peter's motive, motives, and, and he says, do you love me? And then he says, tend my sheep. In other words, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's the same instruction that Peter later gives to the elders. It's the same one that he had received from Jesus. Now, clearly, there's only one way that this can be carried out. It all depends upon Peter's answer to that question and, and our answer to that question, do you love me? You know, again and again, he was forcing Peter to answer that question, do you love me? This, this is right here for the elders amongst us, for Jim and for Garth, and for Will and, and Terry, for myself especially, we need to see and understand the calling that we've received. And it is a calling that depends upon the Lord's love for us and our answer to that question that Jesus gives, gives us. Do you love me? So that He's calling us to go back and to say, do I, do I see that the Lord has loved me with an everlasting love? Like we saw in that question out of uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, that we've been loved, that we've been delivered, received, forgiven, transformed, brought in as a child of God. And when it's that which drives us, and we reply alongside of Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's then that Jesus is going to share with us that command tend my sheep, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That is where it comes from. There's a motive that underlies uh, the answer to that question. 
Uh, you know, I, I ask for the congregation here to pray for your elders uh, often in this task, in this uh, work that's been given. Because again and again in God's Word, we see when it comes to those whom God has called out to, to shepherd His people, again and again we see that these men find themselves when they think about themselves, they, they, they believe that they are inadequate for the task. Think of Moses. Moses didn't start off particularly well. Uh, he said, not me, Lord. I, I can't speak. Jeremiah gave the answer to the Lord that he was too young to serve in this capacity. Peter, who is writing this letter, as we've seen, he knew firsthand of his failure to even acknowledge the Lord at a critical time. But there was, for each one of these, something that served to completely reorient their minds and their hearts, bringing them to a place of, of willingness and even eagerness to serve in this capacity. You remember Isaiah's response, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah, he was in the throne room of God in the, in the temple, and uh, he, he came to recognize his great unworthiness but he saw the Lord's grace and mercy toward him. And he said, after that, after he saw the Lord's mercy, he said, here am I, Lord, send me. And that's, that is the answer that, that needs to be given, uh, and yet it'll only come when we see and we know the Lord's grace, the Lord's mercy, the Lord's love for us. Just like Isaiah we can see it throughout the book of Isaiah. He needed to be reminded again and again. Uh, the shepherds of God's people, uh, elders, need to be reminded again and again. And so pray for your elders um, in the midst of all the situations that they go through, that they will hear, we will hear that question, do you love me? And we will respond, yes, Lord, you know that I love you because I know you and I'm walking with you. And therefore, we will hear, tend my sheep, shepherd the flock of, a, of God that is among you. And based upon that, we will carry that with willingness and with eagerness. So the first question Peter deals with, what must be the motive? And then the second question, how must the shepherd exercise authority? And his answer to this is this, the shepherd must lead with humility by example. You know, in verse 3, back in our passage, although Peter is still dealing with motive to some extent, but he begins to focus upon how authority must be exercised. Uh, he, he says in verse 3, exercising oversight, and then not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He's speaking about how they must handle the authority that they've been given. Now, the first thing to recognize there is that the elder has been granted authority by God. Now, Peter assumes that here. There's another place I'd like for us to turn where we can see it more directly. That's Acts chapter 20. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, there's a spot there where it's uh, Paul's third missionary journey, and he, he calls the elders 
uh, of Ephesus that he's come to know, that he's ministered alongside of for a long time. He calls them down to him in a place called Miletus, and he uh, exhorts them. And, and here are the words from Paul to these elders. He says, this is verse 28 of Acts 20. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he makes it clear here. It was the Holy Spirit who made them elders and who, who gave them that authority that they now have, that they now need to use in their task of shepherding. But the question comes up, it's back in our text, how was that authority to be used? How was it to be employed and how is it to be employed today? Uh, again, we see the same theme as above, that this leadership was to be motivated out of a, 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 a love for the Lord, out of a, a desire for the Lord uh, to, to serve the flock, not out of just the gain, uh, self-serving gain of the leaders themselves. He says, not domineering, not lording it over uh, those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's not an overbearing rule. It's not one in which the elders are a board of directors making all the decisions for the flock. Uh, one in which everything must go through them. You know, there was evidently a, a movement, I wasn't around at that time, but back in the 60s and 70s, uh, a movement called the shepherding movement. Uh, it was especially, I believe, in charismatic areas of the church uh, and it was probably initially well-intentioned, seemingly biblically. But as I understand it, those who are designated as shepherds took on an additional rule in which they stood over the people and they made decisions for the people. And so anytime there was a decision, whether it be marriage or job or uh, whatever it might be, they were to come to this, uh, to this group and they would make that decision or approve that decision. They were lords over the consciences of the people. That's not the position of the under-shepherd. How different this is, what we read about here when it comes to feeding the flock and protecting the flock, uh, making them stronger, uh, leading, being examples to the flock. Uh, you know, one of the books that I have on shepherding it tells a story about a, a, a group that was in Israel and they had a, a, a tour guide that was leading them. And as they went on the bus to the countryside, they looked up and on the side of the hill, which you do see in Israel often, there was a flock of sheep there. And so the guide told the, uh, the, the people on the bus uh, that one thing about shepherding in, uh, in Israel is that you'll never see the shepherds behind the sheep uh, driving them, uh, but you'll always see the shepherds leading from the front. And he went on to explain some of the meaning behind that. Well, it wasn't long until they drove past a flock of sheep uh, that were along the road in which the shepherd was walking behind the sheep. And so the group, of course, they, they pointed this out to the guide, and, and he said, well, I, I want to stop and investigate. So he stopped the bus, he went out, and he talked to the shepherd. He came back to the, to the bus with kind of a smile on his face, and he said, 
That's not really a shepherd behind the sheep. That's the butcher. He's taking them to a completely different kind of place. Uh, and, and all of this to point out that what the shepherd, the biblical shepherd does, he leads from the front. He doesn't drive from behind uh, in the fashion of, of leadership that we see so often throughout the world. Uh, he, he guides and he leads by example. Uh, and Peter doesn't say this in order to put pressure upon the elder uh, because this can generate a great deal of, of pressure for the elder, but he's just going back to elder shepherds who are motivated by what? By a love for the Lord and therefore for the well-being, the true well-being of the sheep. Uh, leading the flock does include tasks that require making decisions uh, that will affect the congregation, the flock as a whole. Uh, there are monthly meetings that must take place. We do them. And we speak about things such as mission and vision and, and setting policies. Uh, it, it includes shaping ministry of the church to conform to our, our mission. Uh, it, it includes speaking about individual sheep, families that have particular needs and, and dealing with those uh, but, uh, and making sure that the gifts of the flock are being exercised. All of those things uh, fall under this umbrella. But some of those things that I mentioned uh, are very tangible. You can kind of hang on to it. It's all too easy for the shepherds to make that the main thing. But Peter instructs us here that the main thing is to set our eyes upon Christ and to follow Him and therefore to lead the flock in following Him. And if we fail in this area, then it serves to undermine everything else that we are about. You know, in that passage I read from earlier out of Acts chapter 20, Paul had said right at the beginning, he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Effectiveness as shepherds comes as those shepherds take care of, of watching themselves, their own godliness, their own character, uh, their own walk with the Lord. Uh, how can we seek this in others if we're not seeking it in ourselves? And so he's encouraging this. Pay attention to yourselves. You know, this, this is what the elder is called to. First and foremost, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, but it's not all given here as a weight upon the shoulders of the elders. Paul makes that clear uh, back in our passage in verse 4. Notice in verse 4, speaking to the elders, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice the reminder here that the, the chief shepherd is not, or, or the under-shepherd is not the shepherd. It's the chief shepherd. The shepherd for the entire flock is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who knows the sheep. He is the one who feeds his sheep and leads his sheep and protects them. It is the task of the under-shepherd to be an example to the flock and to exhort them, to point them in the right direction, all looking to the chief shepherd. And then Peter says that as you do that, look forward to the glory that is to come. He sets 
the eyes of the shepherds themselves, just as Peter does right at the beginning to all, for all of us. He sets the eyes of the shepherd upon the glory that is to be revealed. Uh, as he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Set your eyes upon that which he has ahead of you and shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, it is our prayer that you will help the elders of this church to take to heart those words, to recognize what they're saying and with the right attitude and the right means of going about it, uh, that we will look to the chief shepherd and we will be obedient to that command out of a willing heart and out of a love for you, uh, out of a love for our God. Help us with this, even as we know, Lord, and, and I pray that you'll provide us encouragement in this, uh, even as we know that you have provided for this uh, by the means that you have given we do pray for your help, and we pray that you will prosper your church. We thank you for the gifts that you have given, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.